Amen. Thank you, Lane and Q, uh, for leading us in worship. Good morning, everybody. Uh, welcome back after the weekend. And Monday mornings, we begin a new week uh, of, of global awareness as not only theme and chapel, but all throughout campus as we partner with local and global engagement. And so just to, re just to be reminded that, that uh, today and throughout this week, uh, we have 14 different organizations that are doing work globally and locally uh, that'll be represented in the Billy. Uh, we have multiple alternative chapels on Wednesday and Thursday and hundreds of dollars of giveaway, uh, travel-related giveaways, and enter to win by visiting the booths and attending the alternative chapels. And as he mentioned earlier, uh, Ben's announcement about Feed My Starving Children on Friday. And uh, this morning, super excited and honored to have a dear brother and friend, uh, partner in the gospel, Ben Pierce with Steiger International. And uh, Ben is passionate about bringing the gospel to some of the most darkest, least reached areas in the world. And so I want to get him up here and uh, pray over him, and then we're going to share a video to introduce the ministry of Steiger. So would you give a warm Northwestern welcome to Ben Pierce? And uh, let's extend a hand over Ben and a hand up as we pray for him in our own hearts. Father in heaven, uh, thank you for the peace that transcends all understanding, that guards our hearts and our minds. Thank you for um, the blood of Christ. And we pray the blood of Christ over your servant Ben now, that you would fill him, give him understanding, unction, and utterance as he communicates your word to us. And give our hearts a willingness and a receptivity to hear your word of truth and that it would produce gospel fruit for your glory. We pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. In the 80s, God called me to Amsterdam. That's where I met my wife, Jody, and my two sons were born just on the edge of the red light district. And we really had a burden to reach young people in Amsterdam who had a negative idea about God, which was pretty much everyone in the city. And so out of this burden, Jody and I and a, a small group of us would go out into the forest at night outside of Amsterdam, and we'd have these all-night prayer meetings. And we'd say, God, help us. How are we gonna reach these young people who have been so hurt by this wrong idea that they have about you. So we started a, a Bible study on this old boat behind the central train station. At the same time, I felt like I was supposed to start a band as a way of going to their clubs and communicating in their language who Jesus really is. And that's how the whole ministry started. So there's the need to raise up the next generation of radical, dynamic, creative missionaries who are boldly going and communicating the truth of Jesus outside the church. And, and so um, it was at that point that we started the Steiger Mission School and started to raise up new people and develop the structure to support this true worldwide mission organization, which is all focused on reaching what we call the global youth culture. And these are young people all over the world from the Middle East, Europe, South America, and here right in the US who are influenced by this worldview that, that tells them that there is no God, that they are in control, that they get to decide what's right and wrong, and they're far away from God. The reality is the vast majority of young people, especially today, have more of an apathetic or cynical or even anti-Christian perspective. And so the way in which you engage them, the assumptions that they have about the world and about life is so different, and so, so we need to reflect that when we're engaging them. So Steiger, our whole purpose is to reach those people by going where they are, understanding how they see the world, and communicating the message of Jesus, the message of the cross, in a language that they can understand, and also equipping the local church to do the same. Good morning. Uh, it's a huge, huge privilege for me to be here. 
Um, I, my name is Ben Pierce. I am full-time with the organization Steiger. Uh, and as the video alluded to, Steiger reaches and disciples the global youth culture. Uh, and this is a fancy way of saying everyone outside of the church. And this is a growing demographic, in case you haven't noticed. And our heart is to go to them, to present Jesus to them in a way that they can understand. Using relevant evangelism and discipleship, we establish long-term teams in cities all over the world. Uh, and we are seeing incredible, incredible things happening. I don't have a lot of time, so I'm just going to mention a few ways that you can connect with us. If what I'm saying, if what you hear inspires you, and you want to take a step to be involved with us, the first way to do that is through our Steiger Mission School. Uh, we, have, we run two of them, um, one in the late spring into the middle of the summer, and the middle of summer till uh, early fall. Uh, the last one just ended, actually. The dates are up on the screen. Uh, this is a 10-week intense time of seeking God, learning how to do evangelism and discipleship to the secular youth culture. Uh, it's an incredible time. We have a booth and some of the guys from our mission outside. You can talk to them. They can share more of their experiences. Uh, if you want a way to engage with us locally, we are starting a new band project called Teva. And our, our entire heart and purpose in this is to play in the secular clubs and venues and bars here in the Twin Cities. Uh, we want to lift up the name of Jesus, but in a relevant way uh, that focuses on building relationships and communicating who Jesus is. So if you want a way to exercise your faith immediately, you can be involved in this by joining our street team. And really, that's just a way of saying you're going to come to the shows, you're going to talk with people, you're going to pray with people, you're going to put your faith into practice. So again, come talk to us out in the lobby about that. Finally, if what I'm saying and the voice and the, the heartbeat resonates with you, and you will want to stay connected to that, we have a podcast that's called Provoke and Inspire. So even now, I'm sure some of you are on your phones anyway. Don't go continue to have those out. Search that in iTunes. This isn't four of us from the ministry I'm involved in, all with missional experience, all in the art and music uh, world, speaking about how can you reach people for Jesus? How can you be a follower of Jesus in a culture that is so hostile to the things of God? And so I'd highly suggest you subscribe, you check that out, you stay connected to our voice. I think this is a valuable resource for anyone that wants to, like I said, navigate this culture as a radical follower of Jesus. So subscribe, check that out. I know why I'm on this planet. I know my purpose. And that is a real gift. It's a privilege. I know that God has put me here to use art and music to communicate the gospel outside of the church. And I've done this for over 10 years. I've been to over 50 countries in the last 10 years. I've played for well over 200,000 people and I've seen incredible things. But I'm also excited and, and passionate about challenging believers. Because the Bible says that the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. And this breaks my heart. I was told this corner would be the excited corner, so thank you. <laughs> I'll look to the, you guys for some encouragement. The harvest is plentiful and the workers are few and that's not okay. It says in Ephesians 2.10 that God has prepared every one of us for good works to do in advance. That means that before you were even born, God picked out things for you to do that are not just religious activities. You were not created to just go to church and be a slightly better person. God has created you to make an eternal difference. That is why you are here. But the sad thing is, that though God has this calling on your life, and I believe he does, 
Many won't follow this through. Many will not live this out. Why is this? Maybe it's lack of faith. You know, you feel this burden. You feel you have this dream to make a difference, to do something significant for God, but you wonder how it will work. You look at your own inability, your own inadequacy, and you wonder, this, this can't possibly be real. God couldn't possibly want to do this. You lack faith. Or maybe you leave here, and you will leave here soon, and you want to do something significant for God, but you become seduced by the patterns of this world. And you end up chasing the very same things that everyone else does. And before long, your life is about success, materialism, and pleasure. And these things rob you of the significant life that God has for you. But there's another enemy of impact that I want to talk about this morning. It's incredibly powerful and very deceptive. And it's found in Mark 4, verse 18 and 19, in the parable of the sower. It says this, Still others, like the seed sown among the thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things come in, choking out the word, making it unfruitful. We already talked about the first two, right? The worries of this world, the lack of faith. Again, the deceitfulness of wealth, very obvious. But what about this third one? What about this desire for other things? This is the one that stood out to me because it's presented in such a neutral way. It doesn't say desire for evil things. It doesn't say desire for selfish things. It just says the desire for other things. And I think this is significant because in my experience, it is not these dramatic evil things that rob us of eternally significant lives. It's ordinary things. It's even good things. A nice, conventional, comfortable life, and you will never run out of people who will celebrate that. Yeah, that's okay. That's respectable. That's reasonable. And it's often good things that rob us of great things. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. I see Christians every day making two trades. And when you leave here, you will be tempted to make these trades. In fact, you're being tempted to make these trades right now. And the first trade is obedience for comfort. Obedience for comfort. In Luke 9, 57 through 62, Jesus gives us the series of exchanges that he has, and we get a little insight into just how difficult it is to follow him. It says this, As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. This would have been a very shocking statement in the day. Because remember, the Jews were expecting a conquering king. He was going to come in, this Messiah. He was going to overthrow the Romans. He was going to restore Israel. And so when this supposed Messiah says to them, you know, I'm basically homeless, this would have been very disappointing. This is not the God that they were expecting. This is not the king they were expecting. And here's the big idea. God knows you need food to eat. He knows that you need a place to sleep. But following him has nothing to do with your comfort. Following him is not about your comfort. And if you want to make a difference, and I believe you want to, that is why we're alive. Deep down, we want to make a difference. No one says, yeah, I just want to live an average life that no one will remember. No one says that. But I'm telling you, the key is your obedience to Jesus has to extend beyond having your physical needs met. It sounds so obvious, but our culture is obsessed with our physical needs. And maybe we don't have the materialism of our parents. Maybe it's not the big house and the car 
but we just have created our own millennial consumerism that's built on experience and technology and pleasure-seeking and adventure. It's no different, it's still consumption. And we have corporations that are all too happy to feed into this weakness, this inadequacy of ours. In fact, they even plan for our things to fail us, you know that. There's corporate strategies called planned obsolescence, that they plan for your, your products to fail you so that you will have to go out and get more. We live in a time where the, there's such a distortion between needs and wants in our culture, it's ridiculous. The things we think we need, that we really just want. And because of this lie, because of this deception, we impose impossible standards of living on ourselves. Consider this phrase, starter home. Many of you will leave this place and you'll get your first home called a starter home. What a joke. When most of the world does not know how it's gonna live for a day, when they don't know where their next meal is coming from, we have starter homes. This ridiculous concept that that first house you get is not good enough. You need to move on and move up, it's just a starter home. What a joke. And the sad irony is we are doing this even though we don't even have the money. And because of this, we are in massive debt. At the end of 2017, there was $830 billion of credit card debt in this country. And that's nothing to say of the mortgage debt, the car loans, and of course our favorite student loans, <laughs> which I finally paid off. <laughs> it's possible. No, school's good, I'm pro-school. It's madness. We're consuming, and we're consuming, and we're doing it at such a rate that we cannot even fit it into our houses. Studies show that the average home size in the U.S. has more than doubled in the last 50 years, and yet still one of the largest growing industries in this country are storage units. There are more than 500,000 storage unit facilities in this country. That's more than Starbucks. Let me make something very clear to you. The greatest threat to you li living a significant life is that in the name of stuff, in the name of the patterns of everybody else, in the name of what's conventional and even celebrated, you will destroy the significant life that God has for you because of comfort, because of things. And these things will choke out the fruitful life God has for you. They will weigh you down. And in this biblical example, Jesus makes it very clear that following him has nothing to do with your comfort. The passage goes on. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, let me first go bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go proclaim the kingdom of God. In this example, the man wants to follow Jesus, but he wants to do so in his own timing. Seems like he has a pretty good excuse too, right? But Jesus says, no. It's now or it's never. This seems harsh, but how often do we feel God calling us? Do we feel God impressing upon our hearts to obey him in a certain way? And then we say these two words, but first. But first. But first, let me get this in order. But first, let me accomplish this. And let me tell you, I've been doing this for a little while now. People never run out of but first. And there are people who had dreams 10 years ago, and every time I meet with them, they're still telling me but first. And they will say but first to their graves, I promise you. You will never run out of but first. Following Jesus is about saying, I will go and I will go now. And no matter where you are, you don't have to wait. This isn't about quitting school or leaving or going to some other country. There is a radical obedience for you right now. 
in your context, in the place you work, in the students in this school that don't know Jesus like they should. There, are, there, are, there is a radical road for you right here. The passage goes on. Still another man said, I will follow you, Lord. But first let me go, by, go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. In this example, the man wants to use his family, or more broadly, the season of life that he is in as an excuse to not follow Jesus in a radical way. Nothing can come before your obedience to Jesus, not even your family. I have a two-year-old, I have a three-month-old daughter, she's here somewhere, and I love them. I would give anything for them, but the best thing I can do is obey Jesus and not use them as an excuse to not follow him in a radical way. Let me tell you, as someone who grew up in a missional home, I'm so glad my parents didn't say, you know that radical stuff we did in Amsterdam? Before we had kids, that was great. But now we have kids, so we have to be responsible. And let me tell you, many of your friends used that logic and they went home. But I'm so grateful my parents had the courage to believe that if God called them, they could call us. And because of that, I got to see faith in action. I got to see that Jesus was not a dead tradition that makes you a slightly better person but changes nothing. I'm telling you, this is the kind of Jesus you want for your family. But so many followers of Jesus fail the test of the seasons. When you're young, you have nothing to lose. But then you'll get married, and it gets a little bit harder. Then you'll have kids, and then the, the real test starts. But we need to believe that Jesus calls no matter the season that we're in. That he provides no matter the season that we're in. Christians are making this radical trade, this pivotal trade, and that's obedience for comfort, and I'm telling you, the consequences are devastating. The second trade is truth for acceptance. You know, today you hear it said, the cross is love. What a worthless statement. If we do not define what love is, what does that mean? In our culture, love is synonymous with lust. It means taking it doesn't mean what we think it means, and yet so many followers of Jesus trade the clear truth of the gospel, the message of the cross, for nice, cute cliches. You know, today we want to talk about life transformation and powerful testimonies, which is great. You know, we want to, we want to talk about when, the, when the, the alcoholic no longer drinks or the drug addict no longer uses, and we should do that. We should celebrate when God changes lives. But God, Jesus is not just another way to behavioral modification. Jesus is not just about taking bad people and making them good and clean. He takes dead people and makes them alive. That is what it is to follow Jesus. People don't need another self-help life improvement plan. And yet I think we have, we, we fear the incongruence, we recognize how difficult it is to be clear for Jesus in culture today, and so we shrink back and we choose more palatable, more acceptable, more comfortable messages. And we sell people short by limiting Jesus to a program for behavioral change, a cheap pop culture over Christianity that demands nothing and has no impact on the world. Or we make Jesus about our dreams, right? Jesus just wants me to live my life and be, be good, but really, whatever I do, it's up to me. He just signs the bottom of the contract I write. But the truth is, Jesus is not some genie or cosmic vending machine. He's not someone that you just attach to your life. It's cute cultural attachment. He's the king of the universe. Let me tell you, you want to have a significant life, you need a revelation of who God really is. Because when you have one, it's like Isaiah. 
You fall before him. You say, I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm not worthy to be used by you, but if you would have me, I'll go wherever you want me to go. That's what it means to follow Jesus in a radical way. And let me tell you, it's never been easy. It's never been easy to be clear for Jesus in culture. Never. 1 Corinthians 1.23, where we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. The gospel's always been foolish. It's always been hard. And if we're not sharing it, we either lack courage, we're unwilling to look foolish, or we simply don't believe it's what people need. It's that simple, and I'm not saying it's easy. It isn't easy, and I struggle, and I daily need need God's grace. But if we want to have a life that matters, we need to preach the cross. I was in Brazil on tour in January, and uh, we played all these amazing shows. We, we usually played outdoor areas. Uh, we were with this secular band, which was really exciting because we knew that not only would we reach all our fans, but they would come to Jesus too, which happened on the third show of our tour. And um, we do these things called follow-up meetings. We call them meet the band parties. So after the show, we invite people that responded to come and talk to us so we can go deeper with them and connect them to the local church. And we were on our way to one of these follow-up meetings. And uh, our bus driver, he took a lane that wasn't intended for the height of our bus, so going over 60 miles an hour, he had a steel beam overhang, knocking the top of our bus right off. It was one of the most dramatic things that I've ever been a part of. I mean, it was, it was like, it was crazy. It was like a bomb went off in the bus. And, and by God's grace, we weren't hurt, but we were very shaken up. But we were undeterred, and we thought, God, we gotta get to this follow-up meeting, so we, we managed to get there somehow. And we were, we were close, and all of a sudden I realized we were just going to a beach, and this was in Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. And I asked our promoter, I said, where are we? I mean, normally our follow-up meetings are in, in cafes or restaurants or maybe a church building. And he said, oh, well, we're actually going to do something different tonight. We're, we're going to go on this rock that overlooks the beach. And uh, it's a place where people gather at sunset and they celebrate the sun. It's like a, it's like a, page, a pagan ritual. And he said, we're going to go there and play a few songs, and then you're just going to preach. I was like, what? <laughs> I'm, what? I mean, normally we have this show, and we use theater and music and art, and it's all flashy, and it's all awesome, and, and I'm just going to have to go preach. And I was feeling so tired and so vulnerable. My skin was still burning from the fiberglass that blew up in the bus, and I was saying to God, I don't have what it takes. God, I don't want to do this. I'm going to look foolish. And I felt like God say to me, Ben, when are these people going to get a chance to hear the truth? And so I said, okay. And the music faded out, and I just began to speak. And I said, you know, you think you're here to worship the sun. But that is not why you were created. You were created to worship the one that made the sun. I said, how can you look out over this beautiful beach? How can you believe that you're just an accident? How can you believe that you're the result of some explosion in the sky, just a highly evolved animal with no real purpose? I said, you're not an accident. I said, you're created by God. He's not far away, and I explained to them the gospel and who Jesus is, and I said, if you want to know him, you can raise your hand, and all these people raised their hands. And we spent over an hour praying with people, sharing the love of God, and I remember laying in bed so tired, but so incredibly satisfied knowing that this is why I've been put here. This is what my life was meant to be. We are making two trades, obedience for comfort and truth for acceptance, and it's largely why the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. 
Let me just close with this. In Matthew 25, 14 through 30, Jesus tells this powerful parable of a, of a master who gives talents to four servants. And three out of the four invest it well, but one does not. He calls him a wicked, lazy servant. And here's the big idea. The fact that you're sitting, most of you are sitting. <laughs> the fact that you're sitting in this school, this amazing education you're getting, the fact that you have food to eat, do you realize how elite you are? Do you realize what a privilege it is? What are you going to do with your life? This isn't about making you feel guilty or condemning you. This is a challenge. Don't waste your life. It's not about you. It's not about your perfection, but it is about surrender. And I want to challenge you. God has an incredible plan for you. He does. But we need to be willing to take that narrow road. We need to be willing to be obedient, not comfortable, and tell the truth, even if it's unpopular. And if you do that, my life is living proof that he can use ordinary people to change the world. Let me just pray for us. Lord, I thank you that you do use normal people to change the world. And even in the last minute here, I just ask that you would, if this is spoken to someone, let them not rush off to the next thing, though that might be necessary. Let them take this moment to reflect on what you might be saying, because this could change their lives, Lord. It's changed my life, Jesus. And even though this is a strong message and I shout too much, Lord, I pray that your peace and your love would be the thing that, that woos them to you into radical obedience because it's not a sacrifice. It's the best life, Lord. These people were not meant to just live like everybody else. You've called them to be sent into the harvest, whatever that looks like, and I pray that would happen by your power and in your grace. Thank you that you use us. In Jesus' name, amen.